Hi, and welcome to Driving Leadership. I'm David Foster. I'm Mike Metcalf. And I am Sean Pete. Today we want to talk about what the pandemic has brought us and what the coming crisis in the economy is going to bring us. And that is a big serving of uncertainty. And so we want to ask the question, how can leaders do their best job in an environment that's uncertain? And maybe we start with defining what uncertainty is. Uh, that, wait, there's a, there's a crisis coming? <laughs> there might be. There might, might be. be. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm joking. I've, I've, I've heard about it. You know, it's a lot of speculation. <laughs> and, uh, but some people don't think it's coming, you know, which I find very interesting. But, you know, one thing is, is um, you know, some people don't believe in global warming. This is true, or or COVID. Or yeah, we work with them, David. Yeah, the list goes on. Um, but yeah, uncertainty is unavoidable, right? I mean, you know, there's always, there can't always be a, a sureness about everything that we do as leaders, right? And so sometimes we're leading with a lot of information, and sometimes we're not. Yeah, and and for me, uncertainty is lacking foundation, right? La mm -hmm. Lacking a backstop, lacking a fallback position. Right. That's uncertainty, you know, unclear of the way forward. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a bunch of global forces enacting themselves right now that um, uncertainty is coming, whether we like it or not. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with both of those things. And I guess one way that I would think about it or add to it is that uncertainty is really a lack of predictability, like going into a foreign land. You don't really know what to expect. And I think there's also an element of this feeling that you need to be able to do new things or operate in a new environment, and that ratchets your stress level up. Right. And I think there's a lot of people stressed right now. And, and I think the good news, David, is that as human beings, we are built to handle change, right? We're built mm -hmm. to handle uncertainty. What we are not built for is the unknown that comes with uncertainty. And that's our job as leaders to speak words and, and voice into that unknown. Yeah. And sort of the double-edged sword of technology, I saw this little factoid the other day that today compared to 1950, computing power is more by a factor of one trillion. Huh. And that's... Be, that's you know, there's that whole idea of that we can't, humans can't really estimate or conceptualize things that are outside of the physical element of being human, right? So you can, you can estimate what five feet is or four feet is, maybe seven feet, but once you get to a bigger measurement, 20 feet or three meters, whatever it is, people are really bad at estimating that. So a number like one trillion is almost meaningless. And so that powers our ability to disseminate and propagate information through basically like social media. We have more computing power in our phones than the astronauts had in their, their space capsules. And so that uncertainty is multiplied by a amount that we can't even conceptualize. When you think about the pandemic, people were in quarantine, they got all of their information from 
some kind of digital device, that's real uncertainty in my mind. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you're trusting somebody, you know, you, you can scroll down and say this article written by such such and such. Like, well, who's that? And where are they getting this information from? And is this what yeah. I'm supposed to be putting all of my you know, my, my stock, my, my interest resources, am I supposed to put my faith in this? And it's uh yeah, we're in an interesting, interesting time. I was reading up on, um, the sound barrier ironically last week and, uh, in, in 1947, probably because you went to see Top Gun too, right? Uh, I have not seen it yet. I have not seen it yet. I was in it, obviously Mike Metcalf, but, um, <laughs> I just decided to wait and, you know, let the reports come out first. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out eventually. Um, but but uh, Chuck Yeager, I believe, was the one that they tapped to be the pilot. Um, previous attempts had not gone well. There was a British attempt, and the plane blew to pieces. They couldn't couldn't sustain the pressure. But uh, Colonel Air Force uh, Colonel Boyd uh, says to uh, Yeager, um, we have the technology, we have the design, but I can't, cannot guarantee the outcome because no one's done what we're trying to do. And, and that's why this is an important conversation. When you talk about uncertainty and markets that are changing and uh, generational changes when in the workforce, you know, all these things that are kind of pulling at, at our, mm-hmm. you know, our bottom line, uh, we're, we're trying to do something that hasn't been done. We're trying to produce results and performance in an environment that we've not existed in. And that's why this conversation, I think today is, is so, so important. We can go straight from all that cheery talk into the basically like the tips or the things that might help leaders in a really uncertain time. And the first thing I would say about it is most of these things that we're going to talk about are not bad things to follow when you feel like you're in a more certain time. They're not bad ideas. They're not things that only work when... We have a worldwide pandemic or, you know, an economic crash. So I think the first thing that I would say, the first tip is this idea of embracing and accepting the idea of not knowing, fill in the blank, not knowing what's going to happen with the pandemic, not knowing whether your projections are solid, not knowing how people are going to react, because once you assume or you feel like you do know, you could, you could be headed for some pretty severe disappointment and miscalculation. I agree. I, I think when you're any, approaching any type of new frontier like this, you would better have a, a, a pretty large degree of intellectual humility um, mm. be, because you're going to have to pivot. You are going to have to pivot, right? And great leadership, what they're going to do is they're going to blow the doors off of uh, the disease of nostalgia in these companies right? The, we've always done it this way, mm-hmm. right? Guess what? That's not an option anymore, mm-hmm. right? So we, we, again, we have to approach it a different way. It starts with the mindset and the way we look at this. Yeah. Some of the, the better leaders that I, I've, and I've done a good job talking about the leaders that I've not enjoyed working with so much, but some of the better <laughs> leaders that uh, I've worked with in times of uncertainty, the communication just went through the roof. They, I mean, they just, they over-communicated. They, even when there wasn't much to say, they would just say, hey, we don't have an update. But that, but that's, that's communicating. That gives people like, all right, there, when there is something, we're going to know about it. Uh, until then, we stay the course. And um, I think that's, you know, to your point, David, you know, when you're embracing and, and when you don't know, just 
communicating just that. We don't know, but we're working on it. That over-communicating, I think, is... I mean, we say over-communicating because it's over what, you know, is in the sort of like corporate expectations, but it's probably appropriately communicating during a worldwide pandemic or an economic crash because if you make a habit of staying in closer touch with the people around you, that, that ratchets down the uncertainty just a little bit. And really small modifications in that uncertainty profile or the stress that comes from it, that helps people a lot. No, it does. It, it does. And even if it's, you know, I think I don't want to move over the point of, you know, I don't know is an answer for great leaders, right? Yeah. I don't know. Right. Because again, David, like you said, it's the check-in. You don't have to check in with the solution. You don't have to check in with the answer. You're just checking in. To, and I don't know. Right. It denotes again, I don't want to use humility too much. It denotes humility in that, hey, I don't have all the answers, but we're mm -hmm. looking for the answers mm -hmm. or I don't have the answers, So I need to improve my tools. But mm -hmm. but again, I, I, I would implore leaders. You know, so many people think that, OK, I can't say that because I'm the leader. Uh -uh. Yeah. You know, it is, it is an answer that that, um, you know, that works with people. I think it's also a great example again, whether you're in a pandemic or not, that, oh, it's okay to say I don't know, mm -hmm. that I'm not sure. I think there's another step after that. Hey, boss, what's going to happen with this? I don't know, but when I call you next week or after I have this meeting, I might know a little bit more and I'll tell you what I know and we'll talk about what the best path forward is. That's an intelligent response and still saying, I don't know. But if, <laughs> if, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey boss, am I going to lose my job? And you just say, I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's not the kind of, I don't know that helps somebody. Yeah. No. Context no, you're doing it a, yeah. You're doing it in a way that you're, you're trying to assuage their fears. Right. Yes. And, and, and again, it's how I guess eloquently you can craft that, uh, that makes all the impact. Yeah, because we're, we're hardwired to have a stressful response to uncertainty. It's neurological, emotional, cultural, physical, and we, we've all experienced when we've walked into a new situation, landed in a foreign country, walked into the wrong room at a party, whatever the situation is, and when it's new and uncertain and you're not exactly sure how it works, we all remember our very first day of varsity practice, right? Oh, yeah. our, our entire nervous system is on full alert. As a leader, you want to understand that for the people around you and do the things that you can to ratchet that nervous system down and help them do what they can and not make it worse. Yeah, I was, I was talking to one of the fabricators in our race shop last week and just, you know, talking about our team in a, in a way that somebody on, I guess, maybe on the executive level, technically, that Sean and I are <laughs> maybe disclosing things that, you know, typically you wouldn't talk to maybe with somebody on the shop floor. But I was just telling them, like, that the sponsorships 
stuff packages that we're looking at are for 2024. Like we're pretty much all the way sold for 23, which is which almost never happens in racing. Typically, it's like mm-hmm. year to year, and then sometimes like every few months by every few months that you're trying to you know get your sponsorship secured. And and he just had this huge relief on his face. He was like, "Man, I've I have had ulcers." every off season for the last like 10 years, just wondering if I was going to have a job or not, you know, wow. <laughs> going into the next season. I would have never, never guessed that, you know, I, Sean, have you had ulcers going into, you know, any season? Probably not. Right. And no, but, no. but somebody in a leadership position probably isn't right. They're seeing the numbers. They kind of know how it works. They know like there's different channels and different ways to get things done. But the, you know, most of the people, 90% of the workforce probably doesn't know what, you leader knows. And so this is why, again, this kind of communication is important. You know, you can't sell everything, but just, you know, assuaging fears, speaking into the unknowns does that guy showed up the next day. He's happy. He's excited. He's working hard. His performance is going up because he feels like it's a place that even if there is uncertainty, he's going to, we're going to weather the storm. We're going to make it. The team's going to be okay. And, uh, and I think that's important. I think that, I think that matters. Does that beg the question, do you feel compelled to distribute some of that information more generally so that people in his similar position are not having a bad reaction to, you know, worrying about the next year? Yeah, we're going to, we got a big leadership meeting uh, next week and I was, I was going to bring that up just saying like, if, if this one guy felt this way, there's a good chance that there's, <laughs> there's more. And, um, Man, if this is an easy way just to get a little more positivity in the building, then that's probably worth it. Do they listen to you because you've got a good point, or do they listen to you because of your movie career? Uh, that's a great question. Probably both, if I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's credibility, however you want it, David. But David, one point you know that you can take out of Mike's interaction with that guy is, is Mike said he was surprised at that guy's reaction. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times as leaders, we hold information that we might think is trivial, but could, but could like, again, prevent this guy from having ulcers. That's a major mm-hmm. piece of information that we might not think is valuable. So I think it's really important to understand, okay, you almost be like an oversharer. You know, like, okay, make sure that everyone knows that we are in good financial position or, you know, we can, we can ride COVID out or we can, that may seem like a moot point, but a lot of times it's not. Yeah. And it's, it also speaks to that idea that we've talked about before, being very aware of learning what the other person's position is in any kind of discussion, especially when there's a power differential and you're the quote unquote boss and the other person is the employee. They're going to be very, they're going to have a, they're going to have a very high tendency to give you the best corporate answer so that they won't get fired or that they'll look good. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. You tell us, Mike, had you not said that, would you have walked away knowing that he was worried about the following year or, and has been for the last decade? No, this was a, that was a, all of that was a first for me. Yeah. I think that cultural construct goes both ways that the employee is expected to say certain things and not say others. And the leader is expected to basically always have the right answer. And if we could just inject a little humanity into the interaction, and that's really the leader's, 
I don't know, lead to take, I realize that's not grammatically elegant, but if as a leader, you can sit down and almost try to make it a little bit less formal and break some of those cultural constructs, you have a better chance at helping people, especially when everyone's ramped up because, you know, there's a lot of worry from the uncertainty. And, and meeting those people where they're at, right? Like I said, you know, um, you know, maybe leaning with that, you know, and I, I know things are a little up in the air and there's, you know, a, a lot of things are ambiguous right now. What fears do you have? Like actually literally calling it out and saying, you know, where are you at? What can I help you with? What can, you know, what answers can I provide you with that we don't have? Right. Yeah. And, and again, you can have that conversation because one of those answers is, you know, I don't know. Right. So that you, yeah. again, it's just trying to, to speak into the unknown, anything. And that sort of segues into one of the things that I had jotted down about making yourself as aware as possible of things that are a general result of the uncertainty. So whether it's the economy or the pandemic or you've got a whale sponsor and the scuttlebutt is that they don't know if they're going to sign again. It's looking out for signs of depression, grief, worry, you know, distraction and especially when you start to look at performance metrics, if you've got a working parent who has to figure out how to take care of the kids and also fulfill duties, there's absolutely no way that that person's not going to be distracted. And they're also not going to have, they're not going to be able to feel great about you know, having a Zoom call while their kid watches TV or not being able to spend time with the kid or missing the deadline for work. And it's our job as leaders to step in and talk about that and help them figure out maybe not the exact solution, but what's the best way through this? Right. What can I do to make things better? Right, right, and I, I think that starts with dismantling some of these calcified ideologies that we have pre-COVID. That you have to be in the office to be effective. You have to, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, like if if you have an employee struggling with that, there are so many different ways to make this work now, right? And and, mm -hmm. and we a lot, a lot of people proved those proved those out over COVID. Mm -hmm. um, yet you still see companies. No, we have to be back in office. We have to do. You know, we don't. Right. We don't. It's you, you need you're moving towards a result. Can you get that result a different way? Yeah, mm -hmm. most, most likely you can. Well, if I'm summarizing this in the way I process stuff, I'm hearing adjust your goals, but not adjust your standards. Right. Your standards have to be. I think we talked about being foundational so that we're not moved by our emotions or market swings. Like we have a core business that we believe in our mission, our values. But our goals can change, and maybe they need to, and, and how we get to those standards. I think that's a really, really good way to put it, especially if that is almost like a shared sentiment between you and the people that you lead, so that they understand, that you understand, look, things are changing, and we're trying to figure out our best way to do things in the same way to the extent that's possible because again, like you said, holding somebody to the standard of you have to be in the office is not going to work. 
So we have to figure out a different way to work. Yeah. And, and in terms of the remote thing, you know, it's been, it's been quite strange for me doing more remote because I know for a fact that at least in my line of work, having in-person meetings is generally more effective. Yep. To the, to the extent that I have, you know, flown to the other side of the world to have 18 hours on the ground to shake somebody's hand and look them in the eye and sign the document. And that wouldn't have happened remotely. Now, that doesn't mean that a lot of the things that we've done in the past couldn't be done remotely, but that's almost with a different understanding. So I think that there is some value to in-person collaboration, but sometimes that's off the table. It's not possible. So what is the next best thing that you can do? And as a leader, you have to support that next best thing and make it okay for your people. Right. You're trying to find a path through the uncertainty. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that, but you got to fl be flexible to find it. Right. If we hold on to these things that, you know, we've always done it this way, um, this is the way it was pre COVID, you know, we don't, um, I don't, I don't know that that leads to winning outcomes. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So it, I just want to shift slightly and talk about feelings in a little bit or for a little bit. I want to talk about feelings and the feeling of the unknown is really the thing that makes something like a pandemic or an economic crisis really impact people in their work. And in my mind, there's the whole idea of known unknowns and unknown unknowns, which there's things that you know that you don't know, like how long am I going to have to wear a mask in the grocery store? And then there's things that you aren't even aware of that you don't know. But I still think that you have feelings about that, that when the crisis comes, whatever that is, you know that there's more beyond what you can conceptualize that might affect you and that might be really negative. And as a leader, I think it's almost imperative to talk to your people about how they feel and even it sometimes make them aware, like, look, there's, there's this bigger unknown that we don't, that we can't break down and, and make into simple steps and put in a PDF and everybody do their job, but I'm going to stand by you. We're all going to stand together. And we've had to figure out difficult things before as this unfolds, we'll do it together. And I think recognizing those feelings on everyone's part, it's just such a huge part of being a leader without being like holding hands and kumbaya around the campfire and falling back into each other's arms. We don't need that kind of bullshit, but we need real human understanding. But I mean, but you're talking about empathy, right? I mean, that's kind of yes. a way to, to, you know, no, I'm not trying to summarize what you just said, but it, you know, that is, that is the part where we step in and understand that, okay, these, these feelings and emotions drive performance and drive behaviors and behaviors drive environment. They dictate and facilitate and perpetuate culture. Right. So, so many times in, you know, uncertain times, you kind of look back and like, how do we get here? But sometimes it's to your point, David, 
we never addressed the emotions that everyone was feeling as they were coming on. So I, I think it's a very, very important, maybe the first thing to do, you know, as a leader, when, when you know you're up against something that's going to bring some lack of, lack of certainty. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I agree. It all starts with an understanding, right? It, it's, it's finding the, the understanding and then find, find the cause of the fear. You know what? what is it right it's usually based on a perceived lack of knowledge like we talked about earlier mm-hmm. um and then question that you know we are we are brilliant storytellers between our ears right and we can <laughs> whip up a worst case scenario in the, in the snap of a fingers right yeah. and and so really helping someone discern whether okay this is real and this is perceived right mm-hmm. this is a story and this is not right and even maybe even going a step further and maybe almost accepting failure as a possible outcome, mm-hmm. right? Realizing mm-hmm. that, hey, we might fail at this, right? And putting mm-hmm. that in front of your, your team, right? So that it isn't the boogeyman under the bed and that, hey, we're all working our butts off to get mm-hmm. here. We might fail at this, right? But acknowledging that in front of it. And, and I think, again, it, 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 it helps dispel some of the things, some of the fear that, that, that our people are feeling. Yeah, because that's that's where we're talking about humanity and humanity in business or humanity in corporate life. Eh, those don't always mix so well. But when you think about when somebody goes through something big, even good or bad, what's the first thing they do? They tell somebody they want to talk to somebody. Your kid calls. I made the team. I got cut. Somebody in your family loses their job. They want to call and say, this is what happened. And so for a leader to be proactive and break that cultural mold, as you were talking about, Sean, and always be that person that calls and is open, boy, that's such a big thing. It makes it okay to talk about those things. And Mike, as you were pointing out, your guy who in the fabricating shop which I assume is fabricating like results and that kind of thing. He feels better. And so he works better. Same thing. If you make those consistent phone calls or zoom calls, or you have that space open just to say to an employee, yeah, that's all the work shit. Like what else is going on? I love I love what Sean was saying, like, you know, hey, this may not work out. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, and, and I had a, a little note for later, but I think it's a good time now is just, you know, put something out there in front of everybody that, you know, incentivizes like, hey, we got some challenging times ahead. And but if we navigate it, we get this or the company gets, you know, like a, a week off. I, I don't know, an extra bonus or something like that or incentivize the failure. And hey, if most people in our industry probably aren't going to get this right, right out of the gate. Let's be the first ones to fail at it. And if we can do that, mm-hmm. then we can reboot quicker and we can get going quicker. We can learn more. And so, um, yeah, it's, um, it, it's all about, again, driving leadership. Our core message is about what are the things that we can be doing day to day to help drive performance? Cause at the end of the day, all of us want to be around good people that we have fun with and enjoy being around. But at, at the end of the day, we're all going to get fired if we don't do our jobs. Right. So, being empathetic, it's just such a it's just such a core part of business that that you know we you just can't you can't do it without it. I will also mention that a leader needs to take care of himself or herself 
during these times. And maybe you've got a self-aware boss who makes those phone calls and says the right things. And maybe you have a boss who's in the top three running for jackass of the year. And as a leader, you can make a conscious decision to basically don't go through this alone. Don't make your spouse carry the weight. Don't make alcohol or junk food carry the weight, but look for people who can help support you, whether it's an advisor or a coach or a mentor or somebody in a similar position and have somebody that you can talk to to bounce ideas off of, compare notes, and that makes the leader's journey much better. You feel better. And just like the guy in the shop for who makes up all the results for Mike, when you feel better, you do better. I hope everybody understands that Mike really doesn't have somebody in his shop that makes up all the race results. <laughs> I know that's done on a corporate level, and I know that Mike's not responsible for it. It's just really a joke. <laughs> I smiled when you said that. I was like, that clever, very clever, but I don't know if that's going to go over the way he wants it. But anyway, I was good with it. I was good with it. Uh, I don't want to skip past, though, that, that don't do it alone. Um, alone in the sense of, you know, talk to people about what you're doing, but also the other end of like, don't just like, all right, I'm going to lock myself in a closet and I'm going to crack the code. I'm going to figure this thing out corporate adaptation happens at an individual level. Like companies aren't going to ever adapt to anything. It's up to us as individuals of those companies to adapt. Mm -hmm. And I say this all the time and people, I think still challenge me on that. They're like, no, it's the leader's job to come up with the plan of how we adapt in it. But it, it, it's up to, I think one of you said it earlier, it's up to all of us to sharpen our tools. And then mm -hmm. as we do that, and as we get better, our core business and our core group gets better. And so um, make sure that, you know, as you're tackling, you know, these uncertain times that you're empowering people, challenging people to grow, um, inspiring them. Um, Cause that's, that's the only way that you're going to get it done. And, and David, you had said earlier about, um, you know, how sometimes there's a lack of humanity within these or corporate organizations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but if you look at over the course of human history, where humanity shines the brightest is in times of turmoil, times of stress, yeah. times of uncertainty, yep. right? You look at, um, you know, we're tribal by nature. You look at New York City after 9-11, everyone came together, mm -hmm. right? You look at, you know, a lot of these tragedies around the world, around the country, you know, um, in Britain during the, during the Blitz, right? Yeah. People in London have never felt more united. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if there is a time for humanity, you know, and people in a company to come together, it's now amidst uncertainty. Right. Lean on each other. You know, lean, lean into our tribal biology where, you know, we want to come together to get through it. That's an excellent point for a for a leader to harness is mm -hmm. to use that almost human tendency or tendency of of the culture to help one another in those times. I, I, I really like that. That's a, that's an excellent way to put it. I yeah, also maybe. think that when you go to look for help, 
or when you're talking to people, it's also a great time to start considering, you know, sources or views or people that you don't always necessarily agree with, right? It helps knit the community together. And in times of uncertainty, it's almost a, a truism that two people who don't disagree both know things that would help the other person. And so talking to people that either hold a different view or maybe have some information that you're not exactly sure about is a great way to expand your mind always, but especially during uncertainty, it, it tends to help a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I, I, David, I would agree. And, and I think, you know, it, it's going out of that way and, and trying to trying to meet that person the way you've never met them before, right? So amidst uncertainty, speak to them about things that they believe in, right? It yeah. almost, it almost, you're reassuring them that, that, that part of their makeup is, is solid, right? You're giving them a foundational piece, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, motivating others, Adam Grant put it brilliantly today, you know, he said a couple things and said, motivated, motivating others requires you to know and care about what matters to that person, mm-hmm. right? It's so, so it's, it's meeting them, even if you don't believe in what they're, you know, what matters to them. It's, it's, it's showing them an understanding of themselves. And again, you are breathing wind into, you're reinforcing part of them that feels stable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think that that has a profound effect on people, especially amidst uncertainty. Yeah. And you make a really good point that applies to leadership in general, And that is, you know, there's always this, there are always memes about motivation. I mean, we've all had athletic pasts, right? So we've seen the posters. And then we've also seen the Al Pacino speech in terms of motivation. But motivation is, in a lot of ways, is complete bullshit. Because what Adam Grant is saying is you have to be able to understand the person, what's meaningful to them. And then you have to align your story, you know, the company's story with what's meaningful to the employee. And that's how they work together. It's not a picture and a clever saying or Rocky music that gets people going. And, you know, that's true whether it's uncertain times or not. But I think, Sean, to your point, it is, again, a little bit more effective to entertain those opinions and people that, you know, you may not be perfectly aligned with because it helps strengthen the community. I agree. I I completely agree. How about perfectionism? Where does perfectionism and identifying with being perfect fit into an uncertain situation? I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's funny. We, you know, you meet a lot of people that, oh, I'm a perfectionist, mm-hmm. right? And they're working on a, a plan or a program or, or a leadership idea. And when you talk to them about implementing it, especially, especially during a time of uncertainty, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm a perfectionist and it's not quite ready yet, right? Because you, you don't have ideal conditions to put it out into the world. Well, if you're a perfectionist, you would put that idea out into the world and you would allow feedback, some of it negative, to move that idea closer to perfect. 
But when we say we're perfectionists and we just leave it in the winds because we want it to be perfect, we're not a perfectionist, we're an idealist, right? Mm -hmm. Perfectionist is going to put it out in the world and let the world get it closer to perfect. So you have to act, right? Guess what? Conditions may not be ideal for a long time. So rather than you sitting on it, get it out into the world, right? And, and let the world massage your idea into something that's a better iteration of what it is now and closer to perfect mm -hmm. is my take. My, my take is that rarely does perfectionism work in ideal circumstances. So it certainly just <laughs> <laughs> certainly does not uh, in times of uncertainty. So uh, to, to Sean's point, yeah, it's um, it's about action. And, you know, um, the thing going back to 1947 uh, is like, hey, it's just going to take courage to, to kind of go do something that's never been done before. You know, we're going to have to be bold be brilliant and we're going to have to fail quickly, you know, and that's something that I, I kind of preach a lot, you know, and I think it applies very much so to this conversation, you know, when you don't know what's going on, be bold, be brilliant as you can and, uh, and know that failure is coming. And David, so you being the, the person most close to perfect on this podcast, <laughs> which is a really low bar, um, <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> that's just because he has hair. I, I see what you're saying that I'm actually not that I would be third in line, which is fine. I'm comfortable with that. I agree with all that you've said about perfection. The only thing that I want to add to it is that it's very difficult for a leader not to take on, if not completely identify with having the right answer or having the right plan or being close enough to perfect that it starts to feel good. And then when there are times of uncertainty, you get, you as a leader get further away from that. And I think if you, as a leader, embrace the fear of not being perfect and accept the idea of not being perfect, the act of leading and saying, I don't know, and helping the people around you and trying to figure things out becomes much, much easier because if, you're, if your standard is the previous perfection, which relied on a more stable, more certain environment, then you've got to figure it out and deal with the fear and try to still look perfect at the same time. Yeah, that's tough. So, yeah, it's really, it, it is really tough. And again, this is one of those things that being identified with something close to perfect as a leader in the salad days or good times is not a good idea. And it's even worse in uncertain times. I agree with that. Agreed. I agree. Agreed. I want to add one more thing. And that is if anybody has ever driven someplace new, so you fly to a new city, you go to the rental car place, you know, you get out of the airport and into the city proper, and then all of a sudden you have to figure out where to go. What does everybody do? They slow down, right? They slow down because they're not exactly sure, and maybe the map says this, but is the phone upside down, and oh, there's construction, and wait, the sign's over on the other side, and they slow down, and they have their, this is what happens to me, you know, I go to a new city, and I'm trying to get someplace, and I Sometimes I have to stop the car so my little weed whacker brain can just like completely overheat trying to figure out which way to turn the wheel. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a leader, 
in a time of uncertainty, take an extra beat. Slow down just a little bit. Not so much that you delay things forever or you know you cost the company a tremendous amount of money because you can't make a decision. But taking an extra beat is going to give you the time to figure out all these different things that are new and probably reduce the probability of making a decision that you'd really regret the next day. And, and that's hard. Be, be, you know, I, I was just thinking about landing in uh, Paris uh, <laughs> and driving in that place. And it is crazy. Like trying to drive around the arc. I mean, there's, I was telling Sean the other day, there's like eight lanes. There's no lanes and it's like 12 intersections off of it. And it's, it's just madness. And the thing that you initially want to do is just like punch it just to fit in. Right. And, <laughs> and that's, you know, cause you don't want to be like that, you know, they know I'm not from here, you know, but, uh, but we're not from here. We're not from uncertainty. Right. Like we, we tend to, you know, tribal biology try to gravitate towards stable environments and so um you're going to naturally have to fight that you know like it's not going to come naturally to any of us to just slow down but it is worth it so you were in two tom cruise movies you were in top gun 2 and you were in mission impossible when he was going around the arc de triomphe the opposite way as soon as i saw it i was like he's brilliant because i've been there and there's no way anyone's going to catch him (laughs) Because, I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely, absolutely crazy. No, and, and David, you know, it's funny, just, you know, an analogy to what we're talking about. Like when we, when our pit crew guys encounter stuff like that, you know, a situation <laughs> where the car is coming in a different way or whatever, we, we you know, we implore them, look, you've you got to just slow down. Slow down, rely on your fundamentals, and you'll find a way through it, right? And it's... um that's a really good point, right? That we cannot stay a thousand miles an hour when we don't know what the road looks like ahead of us. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, all it's doing is us hurtling towards disaster. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually, I said to a client last week, as my friend Sean and Mike say, slow down to go fast. That's it. This is, this is it. Absolutely. All the time. If I'm not mistaken, that's a NASCAR saying, right? Well, yeah. I mean, look, it's so eloquent. How could it not be? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the guy did make the point that it wasn't Formula One, and I said it it still holds. It still holds. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. The the last thing I want to add is it's a relatively common thing. You, You hear it from different people in different ways but there's more science behind it now. So I think it, ha- it carries more weight. And that is when you're, you're faced with a difficult situation and obviously uncertainty brings a lot of difficult situations to your doorstop every day. Mm-hmm. The best reaction is to step back, take a breath and then make a decision mm-hmm. and not to move forward. Sometimes you literally have to step back and that is backed up by the science of sight where if if your gaze is more open, it slows down your sympathetic nervous system and it allows you to have a higher sense of cognition, a higher basically like, you know, pattern rate inside your brain. 
And then taking a breath, we can lean on somebody like Brian McKenzie, the mechanics of breath and how that changes your ability to think, and then make a decision. And for anybody who's interested, we can put links in the show notes on some of this science. You don't really need to read the science as much as you need to understand the conclusions to be helpful. But you're leading in a difficult situation and fire alarms are going off and people are stressed out. The absolute best thing you can do. And I'm not talking about taking a step back like, yeah, I heard your question. Uh, I'm going to go away for a month. And when I come back, I'm going to give you the best answer. But don't feel like you need to answer that question on the spot. Even if you say, can you, can you give me an hour and let me see if I can figure something out for you and take a breath and then try to make your best call. No, I agree. And, and I think, like I said, I think it's, it's trying to get quiet. It, it's, it's trying to quiet the whole thing down so that you can find the way forward. Right. It's, there was a, um, a quote in sacred hoops, which is Phil Jackson's first book. Mm -hmm. And in it, he says, in Zen, it is said that the gap between accepting things the way that they are and wishing them to be otherwise is the 10th of an inch of difference between heaven and hell. If we can accept whatever hand we've been dealt, no matter how unwelcome, the way to proceed eventually becomes clear. Hmm. That only happens, like you said, if we slow down, mm -hmm. right? The way mm -hmm. to proceed, right? Not thinking, not, not wishing things were otherwise, accepting that this is our situation, how do we move forward? So I think that's a great point to end on. Yeah. There you have it, dear listener. You've got Sean with Zen and me with quotes from Andrew Huberman on the neurology of your visual system. <laughs> Saying the same things. Right. Right. I'll be a little bit more primal then. I was just going to say, just, you know, uh, focus on your controllables, you know, get a get an extensive mm -hmm. list down of the things that you can control and the things that you cannot and focus on the things that you can and just keep it simple um again and, and keep it simple and then keep people together you know the only way forward is together in, in these times of uncertainty so uh, hopefully we've uh, given you some things to think about today and some things to help i think we really have yeah. that is our lap around the track on leading during uncertainty and actually i just realized that to me that's running and to you guys that involves like rubber and motors exhaust fumes different rubber your tracks rubberized our wheels are the rubber we're thinking of so <laughs> that's right that's right so thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week thanks everyone see y'all <laughs>